Very good. If you have a Bible with you today, if you have a Bible or some access of, to God's Word, if you'd turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 18 today. Uh, let me, I, I think I need to revisit last weekend uh, the, the missions conference. What a blessing. What a blessing. And as we concluded, I asked some of you to share some of your na- next steps, and so I'm not revealing anybody's names, but I thought it would be an encouragement today for us to, to just see some of our corporate church bodies' next steps that people are taking. Yeah, remember that theme, preeminent versus prominent? That's, that's tangible. That's real. Yeah, I know who put that one in, and I think that one's way cool. And um, the, the back story on that is a missionary speaker we had here who said, you know, my wife and I served on the field for 20 years. We had one family come visit us while we were out on the field. It was Christmas multiplied when that happened. Yep. Yeah. What if each of us did that every day? Yeah, wow. I like what the speaker said, you know, people were afraid for him to go off to Tibet for his family, and he said, remember he said, I'd be, I'd 
be afraid to stay here and be disobedient to God. Yeah. Is that it? Oh, that's it. Okay. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 18 today. Um, before I do that, let's, let's look at the chart. Let me get you up to speed because we always have new people coming and joining us along the way. So those of us who have been here for the whole thing, let me bear with me for a little review. I know this is small. We have those charts still at the uh, Welcome Center where you can get your own chart that you can unfold. Um, can, can you read that in the back probably? Yes, you can. No? Yes? Some? No? Yeah. No no's than yes. Okay. I'm going to go here. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 12 tribes, 12 sons of Israel, or Jacob, took them down into captivity into Egypt. The people multiplied there. That's the box. The box with the dot in it is the dot is Moses, God's leader, went to Mount Sinai. God gave them their culture. He gave them the law. Then he gave them the land. There was a time of judges. Then there was the prophet time, and that Samuel is that black dot up there. God wanted to speak through the kings, but they wanted a king like everybody else. And so instead of God's plan, they have a monarchy. And then they had three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. Then we talked about the divided kingdom, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, uh, Israel and Judah. They were carried away into captivity by the Assyrians in 722, the northern kingdom, and in 586, the Babylonians took the southern kingdom away. And that's kind of how far we've gone. We're in the midst of what I'm calling Act 1. And let me give you a little more insight as we unwrap this. Act 1 is going to be all the way up through the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. That's going to be the end of Act 1. Um, That is God's provision of redemption. And the channel of redemption through that time was the nation of Israel. They were his chosen people, and if you wanted to come to God, you came to Israel, you converted to that system because that was the way to God. That was the channel of redemption. Looking ahead, I'm giving you a little bit ahead on this. Act 2 is going to be after Jesus ascends into glory, and we know that he established the church. And so we're going to call this the, we can call it the church age if you like, for if you want to give a... a Uh, some nomenclature to it. This is going to be the church age, and this is act two of God's plan of redemption. And that is the proclamation of redemption to the ends of the earth. Now, at the end of that, there's going to be a third act, and I'm not going to tell you about that, but that's going to be where we deal with the end times and God setting up His kingdom on earth and this earth being filled with the glory of God. And I'll just leave that out there as a teaser for you to, to keep coming, you know, so you can stay engaged. So, now, why are we doing all this? Well, I think number one is that I think a lot of times, I will, you know, you'll hear sermons from me or from other people, and one Sunday we'll preach and we'll be talking about Samuel, the prophet Samuel, and, 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 and how God chose him, and we'll talk about that. And then we might be preaching from the Psalms. And then we might go to Jeremiah. And then we're over here talking about, some miracle that Jesus did, and you think, how in the world does this all fit together? And I think it's just really healthy for you to have kind of a healthy timeline framework of how God has worked through the ages and is going to work. And remember, there's always a unity to what He's doing. There's always progress to what God does. That's the way that works. So, 
two basic things we have in the Word of God. We have God, we have God working and we have God speaking. Working is, that's all the historical narrative, the timeline, the characters, and all that working through individuals. And then we see God speaking directly. And we've already talked some about that. He spoke in the promise, and He spoke when He gave the law, and He spoke through the uh, words of poetry about real feelings in real life. And today we're looking at the prophets, an even larger mass of material, about God speaking. That's Isaiah through Malachi, although, again, if you followed the timeline, you know that some of the prophets spoke earlier at different times, and so this is one that's not, it's not linear, okay? It's not linear. You can't go, Isaiah came, and then Jeremiah, and you, you, can't, you just can't do that. And so, don't do it. Don't try to do that. It doesn't work that way, but we'll, we'll pull this all together. Again, we're flying high. We're flying high through this because I'm covering the whole Bible in about 25 sermons. And so um, you could spend, uh, I don't know how many sermons you could spend on it. You could go on forever and ever. But um, it, it's interesting uh, what we see here in, in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Let's, let's read that beginning in verse 14. Let's go back and begin. I'm going to change my mind. Let's begin in verse 9. This is to the Israelites before they go into the promised land, and it's setting the stage for the prophets, so pay attention. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his sons, his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium, or a spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you will dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him, for this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, this is Moses speaking here, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded to him to say... Or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods must be put to death. You may say to yourself, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. You know, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about um, 
what God what God does in the Bible and, and what He does with these with what He does with prophets and and I was thinking how how that how it fits today. You know, if you're um, <clears throat> if you're if you're um, if you're playing baseball, if you're playing baseball, I don't, if you have you watching the World Series now? Is there anybody interested in watching the World Series? Jordan, raise your hand. Dodger blue bleeds Dodger blue right here. Okay, have you noticed? And I, I'm not I'm not reflecting on the, the, the who's winning that or whatever. That's not. But do you notice when they're going to take out a pitcher? Have you ever noticed this? They go out to the mound. Have you noticed what they do? They put their glove over their face like this. So it, why do they, you know why they do that? You know why they do that? Because they have bad breath. No, they do that because they're afraid that somebody on the other team has a lip reader and they're going to read what they're their lips and figure out what they're doing. Have you noticed in football, in football, when, when the quarterback is going to call a play, he says, come over here, guys, over and they get way over away from the defense and they huddle up and they whisper. Why do they do that? Because they don't want the other team to know what they're going to do. Seems intuitive, doesn't it? You know what God does? In the Bible, time and again, he says, hey, guys, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you ahead of time, and I'm going to do it anyway. It doesn't matter what you do. That's the way God works. That's, that happens all through the Bible. He says, this is what I'm going to do because he's God. He can do what he wants to do. It doesn't matter whether you know it or whether you don't know it. There's nothing that we can do to stymie the plan of God. Nothing. That's what he says in, in, in 18 here. Verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from their mouths. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. And then he says, they say, well, how will we know if somebody's a, a real prophet? I said, well, if he says it, it doesn't come true. <laughs> He's not a real prophet. Everything he says has to come true. It, it really minimized false prophets in the day when they stoned them to death. You know? Uh, if it didn't come true and they took them out and stoned them, it really minimized people saying, well, the Lord told me. And no, no. <laughs> you had to be really sure of what you were doing. So, in the chart, if we could look at another part of the chart, um, this is a little bit bigger than you read it. This is, is going to be the time of the prophets. Um, they really, they really began to speak during Jeroboam and Rehoboam during the time of this rebellion while they were being carried away. And so there's a whole period of about 400 years that all through this time uh, they spoke. And uh, a number of prophets, some we call major prophets, some are called minor prophets. Listen, the major ones are just called that because they wrote a lot, like Isaiah and Jeremiah. The minor prophets, their writings are not as long, but they're just as true. Just as true. Um, and they spoke for God. Um, most of them were men, but I was reading in uh, 2 Kings 22 the other day, uh, Huldah, the prophetess who spoke for the Lord. So I have a time chart. This might help those of you who, are, who like this kind of stuff. Um, and I found this in the amazing collection material. Um, the first couple prophets chronologically were Obadiah and Joel, and they were in the 800s. Then we had during the 700s, Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, Micah. Now, you know if you memorize the books of the Bible, these are not in order. So, just saying. Um, 
Then in 722, that was when the northern kingdom got carried away into captivity by the Assyrians. And then we had some more prophets who prophesied after that. In the 600s, Nahum, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Daniel. Then we get to the 500s, Lamentations, Haggai, Zechariah. And then in the 586, Judah was exiled to Babylon. Then we have one that goes in the 400. The last of the prophets was Malachi. And then we have 400 silent years, and then we have Jesus Christ being born. Just so if you like to kind of put that chronology together, you realize, again, you can't take take the Bible and just read the prophets and say this is the linear, the way that most of the time we read a book. If you've been reading with me and you've been going through the divided kingdom time, it's just, I just really, there's several passages, there's several sections of scripture I just don't enjoy reading. And and I just, you know, I just, there's a few bright and shining lights. You know, there's there's Josiah, there's Hezekiah, and a few other good kings, but most of them were bad kings. And it's like, your dad did so well, and then you go off and... Just make cash out of everything. You know, it's just, it's just a discouraging time. So God, during this time, during this time, because God is a good God and a loving God and, and cares about us and cares about His people, He always has. He sent prophets to tell them. He sent prophets to correct them. You see, God's covenant people did just what He told them not to do back in Deuteronomy 18. Time and again, they violated the covenant that they had with the one true and living God. They broke the Ten Commandments. They broke the first ones of not having any other God before Him. And they brought other gods and they worshipped other false gods. So the prophets use all kinds of word pictures uh, to describe this rebellion. Um, you may not have time to look at all this, but in Isaiah, in Isaiah 1, it's, it's, he deals with them like a father does with a son. Isaiah chapter 1 Verses 2 and 3, let me read that to you. Hear, O heavens, listen on earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. It's like a father talking to a son. There's a, another time where he compares it, and I'm not going to read it, but it's like a garment in Jeremiah 13, 11. You're like a loincloth that I've put on. And then he describes the nation of Israel in the most intimate of terms as a wife in Ezekiel 8, 16, if you want to turn to that. Ezekiel 16, I'm going to read a passage from that. Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse 8. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. So the analogy here, the Lord is talking, he sees Israel, he says, you were like a young woman that grew up, and I took you, and I married you, and I entered into a covenant with you. Verse 9, I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointment on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. 
I adorn you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring in your nose and earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. And you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of the finest linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was fine flour, honey, and olive oil. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame... Your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because the splendor I had given you, you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. And you remember the apex of the kingdom. Apex of the kingdom was under Solomon. That's the high point. And that's what he's talking about. The fame spread all around. Remember the queen of Sheba came to meet Solomon. And when she met him, she said, the half of what I've heard about you is, is, it has not been told. Of all that you've done. And so there's this beautiful relationship that he is pictured as a man who takes this young woman and marries her and makes, him, makes her his bride and, uh, and treats her well and clothes her and gives her jewelry and sets the bar high for us, guys. Anyway, he does all these things for her through here. Lavished his love upon them. Upon her is the picture that he has. He's talking about the nation of Israel. Verse 15, but you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. Such things should never happen, nor should they ever occur. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made of gold and silver, and made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. This is the picture of the nation of Israel in the divided kingdom time, worshiping false gods, going after other things rather than their true love, their true God, the, the only one worthy of their affection. So, our God is like a loving parent who always disciplines his rebellious children. And when we fail to correct and guide and even punish our children when they are rebellious, we are being unloving and unkind, and we allow them to go in a downward spiral in their lives. So, if I would be as so bold as to summarize 250 pages of the writings of the prophets into three words. The message of the prophets, I think, can be summarized in three words. It's repent and believe. Repent and believe. And I think time and again we see the prophets say, turn, repent, quit going your evil way. Turn from your selfishness. Quit excluding God and being hard-hearted and hard-headed and proud and independent. Repent. Turn from that. And believe. To believe is to acknowledge Him. It's not just that shallow intellectual thought, yet I believe there's a God, but it's that one and only true love of our life. First place of our devotion. It is submission. It is surrender. That's what true belief always is. And that, if I could be so bold as to summarize this mass of material over and over again, it's to the nation of Israel, and they're saying, repent and believe. 
repent and believe, our judgment's going to come. Hosea is one of the minor prophets. I think some of our ladies are studying it right now. Uh, God depicts his call to the adulterous uh, nation through the prophet Hosea and his adulterous wife, Gomer. Uh, it's, uh, it's a hard, it's, again, it's a, it's a hard book to read, to experience the, the, uh, the anguish, uh, uh, the brokenheartedness of the prophet Hosea. But it drives home uh, a hard lesson to the nation of Israel. In the last chapter, we see him wrapping up the book, and he's talking to the nation of Israel. It says this in Hosea 14, verses 1 through 3. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may receive the offer. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. And, and, and this is, he said, they say, return to God. Admit your sinfulness. Take words with you and ask for forgiveness. Never again allow a false god to become your love. And then the promise that we have, the promise we have, and I didn't, I didn't put this up there in, in verse 4 is, I will heal you, I will heal them. Yeah, I guess I did put them up there. I will heal them, I will love them, my anger will be turned away, and they will experience my blessing. That's what God says to us. I couldn't help but think about this verse because I knew I was going there. And when we were singing that song tonight, uh, this morning, excuse me, that said, I am not alone, I am not alone. You will go before me, you will never leave me. That's what he says. If you will return to me, if you will repent and believe, if you will return to me, I will bless you. Hosea 14, 9 says this. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But the rebellious stumble in them. So the application of this today, and this is, this is a very easy application for us today, is have, 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 have we allowed, have any of us allowed something in our life to become our God? Have we allowed something to take the place of the one true and living God? It could be your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your wife or your husband or your family or your pride or success or money or achievement or popularity or sex or food or alcohol or drugs or some other addiction to take the place of God. Only, only the true and living God is worthy of controlling us. And this is, this is, this, God feels this so deeply. This kind of behavior in our lives breaks the heart of God. And that's why he said, did you notice the timeline? 400 years. He said, prophet after prophet after prophet. And like I said, I can summarize their message in three words. <laughs> I mean, prophet after prophet after prophet pleading 
begging, modeling. Begging. The nation of Israel to return to God. And, and that same compassion and the same heart of God has not changed. It's still the same today for you and for me. And, and let, me tell you about, let me tell you about if you live in, in, in sinful behavior, if you practice sinful behavior, if, if, if you are, are stubborn and hard-hearted and continue to go doing something that you know is not right, it is a scary place to be. Because one of two things. One is that you're a child of God and you're rebelling against your God. And God says in, in Hebrews 10, it says, The Lord will judge His own people. And He says this, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we love the compassion of God, but we also need to understand the judgment of God and the consequences of our rebellion toward God when we do that. So, so if you're a child of God today and you're living and you say, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. I want you to go into that with your eyes wide open because God won't let you get away with it because He's your Father. He's a good Father. And good fathers don't let their kids get away with stuff. The second thing is even more scary, that if you name the name of Christ and you continue to rebel and live in sin, then the other side may be that maybe, maybe the reason you can do that is you're not really a child of God. Do you know 1 John 3, 9? This is one of those scary verses in the Bible. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning, because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Hmm, that's an interesting verse to chew on. That if you, if you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to live in continual rebellion and sinfulness against God, how, how can you have truly believed if you practice sin? Now, I want to be careful with this. This is, this is when you... Because I'm not, I'm not advocating that any of us are going to live sinlessly. Because that's... I don't think the Bible teaches it. And personal experience... <laughs> personal experience uh, shows that that's not possible to live sinlessly. But there's something in that verse about practicing sin. If the pattern of your life, if you continually live that way, you don't hear the voice of the Lord, you don't feel the chastening of God, you don't. It's bad to be chastened by the Lord, but it's even worse when you're not chastened by the Lord. Does that make sense? When God is not correcting you because that says, you're not mine, why would I correct you? So, Sometimes we, I think, um, so we need to take this seriously because I, I don't want us to swing to 
to, you know, we believe in the grace of God, and the grace of God is real and powerful, and whoever you are, and whatever you've done, and whatever you're doing now, you can turn to God and experience His grace. I believe that with all of my being, but I also believe the truth of God is that you cannot shake your fist in the face of God and continue to live in rebellion and not have consequences for it, and that is a tension that we walk in. Listen, I want to tell you though, if this is, and I want to, I want to, I want to give you a, a word of hope here. The, the, the story of the prodigal son is always such an encouragement to me. Always an encouragement to me. Because it says to me, you can go down into, you can be, you know, the visual image there, you can be at the bottom of the pig pen. You can be at the bottom of the pig pen and you can return to the father. And, and probably every one of us at some times have felt like, you know, I've been at the bottom of the pig pen. And, and to return to the Father. And that is the good news of the grace and the hope and His arms to receive you. When you truly repent, you truly believe and surrender, when you do that, His arms are open wide to receive you. So that's the big application day. But one more thing from this passage before I, before I depart, because there's another emphasis in the prophets. So maybe I didn't tell the truth when I said it could be summarized in three words. Um, there's a lot of prophetic emphasis in between this day and that day, between now and a latter day, or as I would say, from the problem that they're in to the hope that is to come. So, so the nation of Israel was rebellious. They were like a, a wayward son and an adulterous wife. Does the story end that way? No, it does not. And what we see woven all through these prophets is this word of hope that there's a latter day coming. There's another day coming. There's a better day coming. And that has, that has two components to it. The first one was the first coming of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. When Jesus came as the fulfillment of the promise that was made all the way back in Genesis 3.15. You know, the, 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 um, the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman will crush his... Head, the serpent will, crush, will uh, bite his heel. I can't remember exactly, bite his heel, but you will crush his head. And that was the first promise of a coming Messiah that would defeat death and sin. And that was Jesus 2,000 years ago. And that is going to be the end of Act 1. Okay? Then we're going to have Act 2, which we're in right now. Remember the church time? We're living in that. And then there's going to be an Act 3. Let me tell you what's going to happen in Act 3. I'm giving you a hint. It's going to be that second fulfillment of that latter day when King Jesus returns to rule and reign over all this earth. So when we're reading the prophets, it's easy to get discouraged, but the prophets keep talking about there's a better day coming. In that day, in the latter day, there's a time of hope. When he will return. So we'll, we'll put some of those pieces together as we work through Acts 2 and 3, which we will get to eventually. But let me just remind you of the conclusions from today. And I think these are some takeaways that we all need to hear. Don't ever make light of sin or rebellion toward God. It, it's, it's never a little thing to sin against God. Second, quickly repent and return when you wander from God's path. When you become aware of that you've tolerated sin in your life, when you realize the light's shining in and you see yourself as you are, quickly repent and return to God. 
Because the third truth is the word of hope. Never forget, he longs for you to return. He is the father, the prodigal son's father, looking, looking and seeing his son afar off. Why did he see him a long way off? Because he was watching for him. And that's what our heavenly father does. He is looking and longing. When you are far from him, he looks and longs for your return. So, if you've never initiated a relationship with Christ, if some of this is still kind of gobbledygook to you, uh, I just would encourage you to talk to one of us about it. Talk to one of our deacons or to Jordan or Lisa or Jamie or me or one of us. Some of you may be, you would say today, you know, I, I know I've given my life to the Lord and I've walked with God, but you know, I've really gotten off the path. And I can't even figure out, I can't even figure out how to get back on the path. Um then we would love to chat with you, pray with you, whatever we can do for you. If we can help in any way, please let us know. But don't stay in that place. The nation of Israel, they, they wallowed in this for 400 years. And we should not wallow in that place for 400 minutes, but quickly return to God. Let's stand together for a closing prayer. Let me, let me just say this before I pray. Um, if, 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 if this has touched a nerve in you and you'd like to talk to me or one of us, would you just, you could write your name down on a, one of our name tags or a piece of paper and just give it to me on the way out. And I'll contact you or if you want somebody else to contact you, we will. So give us some instructions. Father, we thank you for your truth. Sometimes we're up on the mountain and it's bright and shining and we're exalting your name and praising you. But today we're praising you from a dark place with the prophets who had a hard message, who lived in a hard time. Oh Lord, may we, may we receive your word today. May we be swift to repent and believe and trust you. And may we never forget that you look and long for our return. You're the good, good Father. Never let us lose hope. In Jesus' name, amen.